Welcome to the Embracing Noether podcast. So I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that we would perhaps look at the team of evil and divinity. And I think the question is, why does God allow evil in the world? Which is, it's a very loaded question really, because we have to ascertain what we mean by God and what do we define as evil. But it's a question that I've encountered many times or often when people are encountering great difficulty in the world, you know, they can say, why does God allow this to happen? It can shake their faith or make them question what is God or divinity or is there a God? Or why is there evil? Or indeed, you know, the old battle of light versus dark or good and evil. So I very tentatively will maybe walk through it a little bit. And I'm doing so in reference to Sri Aurobindo's uh, The Life Divine and a particular chapter called uh, the light, the problem of existence. So, I'm no expert on Sri Aurobindo, but over the last few years I've been illuminated so much by his teaching and transformed and assisted really. And I'd like to share a little bit of that because I find it valuable. So, you know, we can say, where does evil come from? And, you know, we can ask, you know, if God is the creator of existence, how could he have created a world in which he inflicts this kind of suffering on his creatures for he allows pain and suffering to exist or permits evil to exist? Or is God not all powerful that he can't stop this evil or, you know, even I'm using the word he as God and, you know, that's not totally accurate. You can say it, he, she. God is not a, a sex, so to speak, man or woman. It's just the convention of our language. But we say, you know, is God just allowing this to happen or does it serve a purpose or why and we can get very confused about that and it depends on our viewpoint or our level of consciousness in my youth i had what could be called a chip on my shoulder very angry and you know for me i questioned god even from an early age and for me i was so angry at god because i didn't know why i was here i didn't know why i existed i didn't remember agreeing to be here. I thought somehow I'd been duped and I didn't agree with what was happening around me and to me. So, you know, my thing was when I was an adolescent that if I ever met God, I'd give him a good swift kick. You know, that was my level of consciousness at that time and my level of, I suppose, ignorance. I don't say ignorance in a 
condemning way. It's just I didn't know better. You know, so... Is God just allowing this evil to exist? And so we'll pare this down and look at what we mean maybe by God and evil and what this problem maybe can open us up into a really more integral approach. So, you know, some people can justify that there's evil in the world, that it's some kind of test or a trial. We can say, you know, it's, it's an ordeal we have to go through and it's a test that see, are we good enough to enter a heaven or, you know, to meet the bar, so to speak. But again, this begs the question, what kind of an God would kind of invent these kind of tests that create suffering for his creatures? Is he a deliberately cruel or does he lack moral sensibility? So we can ask that question. And it's a valid from valid point. If we look at it, the life is a trial and we just have to get through it and then we, we'll be rewarded at some time. But what kind of God would do this? And really, we can claim, well, maybe it's got something to do with karma. We were, you know, we weren't on our best behavior in another life and we're getting suffering now where we encounter evil as a punishment. But again, what kind of God would inflict punishment on his creatures for them not knowing better, for behaving poorly because of their own ignorance? You know, and then we have to ask the question, why is our soul here going through many lifetimes, you know, just to be punished? So, you know, often people use karma as a kind of, aha, you're getting your just comeuppance. You know, that's karma. Or, you know, often people say, you know, karma's got you, you know, that somehow you've been bad in the past. But that's a very kind of limited view, in my opinion. You know, so who created us that has to go through lifetimes and bear this, the challenges and suffering of life and the pain of life, because there is pain in life. You know, everyone can attest to that in some way. And is it something wrong we've done? You know, you can go back to maybe original sin. Or was it, you know, we can point the finger and blame Eve. It was Eve in the Garden of Eden. And, you know, there we have the feminine as the scapegoat. But this leaves us in the same kind of quandary. Who created Eve? The temptress, so to speak. And who created the apple? And who created the serpent? Again, we'll come back to this God. Is what, what's God playing at? Is he just toying with us? testing us. What is the purpose? What's the meaning? You know, if it is our ignorance, ignorance or mental incompetence, who made us this way? So we could just say, you know, maybe God isn't a, 
a good God. Maybe he's a God of just power. Or indeed, we could deny God altogether and say it simply, this is just the way things are. We've emerged from some void or cosmic accident. And that's, this is just what's happening. So we can, we can negate God. Or we can, you know, say that somehow God is removed from this world, this universe. So if we look at it, all these considerations rest on the belief maybe that God is not the universe, is not the world we live in, is somehow separate from it, apart from it. It's really, it hinges on this idea or belief that God is other. And therefore God is removed and letting things happen to us or doing things to us. And we're not sure why. And we can have varying ideas, philosophies, religions about that. And they all serve a purpose in time. You know, that God is separate or apart from creation, you know, up above perhaps, but not here is kind of many people's idea of God. You know, I'm even, I'm using the word God very deliberately here to show you maybe that there's so many interpretations of what God might be. And when you say the word God to a thousand different people, they'll all have some kind of different formation, idea, belief, experience. And often people get so frustrated with the word God, they want to throw it out. It's, it's been so in a way, denigrated, misused, misapplied. But, you know, we can also clarify our usage of each word and maybe reinstate it in its highest form. So if God created, you know, this world and there's good and evil and there's suffering and pain, and he himself is unaffected or removed from it. Maybe watching, maybe sometimes interceding through our petitionary prayer. But what kind of God is that? Are we just left here to be governed by universal laws? So this is the God of otherness. Or you can negate God altogether and say there is no God and have a materialistic view or, you know, some forms of Buddhism go for a void, they don't mention God as a divine personality, as a divine being. So if we just put aside God as other for a minute and we really turn a small bit, so to speak, and what I'm offering you here are words, but there's also an energy behind the words. And if you can 
open to that, it might be more fruitful because any descriptive properties are always limited if we take them at face value, that they're always pointing to something or sometimes from something. So there's another way that can be realized and it's beautifully termed in the Vedantic tradition as Sat Chit Ananda, Sat Chit Ananda. And it's really the possibility of the realization that there is only one existence. Is sometimes they say one without a second. All that is, is God. All that is, is divine. And then if we look at this, it changes things. It really starts to turn it on its head, so to speak. So then God is not removed from this universe, from this world, from the suffering and pain. So God, you could say, bears the suffering as he, she is not removed from it totally. You could say God bears the suffering in those he has embodied himself in. And then really, you know, our conundrum changes entirely. It's not anymore a, a finger pointing at a cruel or a moral or an understanding God that afflicts or allows suffering or evil in the world or condones evil. But then the question changes to why would the divine God, or you could say the supreme, admit into itself that which is evil? Why would it allow for this suffering for itself? So maybe I'll try open up the term Satchitananda. So Satchitananda is Sanskrit term and it's being, consciousness and bliss. And the three words are kind of run together because they're one, but you can look at them separately as well. The being, which is existence, the very beingness, and then the consciousness and the bliss. So when we sometimes try to describe God or the Supreme, Parabatman, the Divine, we find it is beyond description. It transcends the human facility to describe true words. For then it's really unknowable at the mind level. So it's very difficult to talk about. But you could say God or the Supreme, this unknowable, can know itself. And this is the important point that really God can know itself, not as, you know, humans know, but because the divine is not limited, it knows in its own way. So you can say like, 
how how then does God know itself? How does the divine know itself? Well, firstly, it knows itself as I am. Simply as sheer existence, beingness. And it's beautifully put in the term, I am that I am. And this is the sat aspect of Satchitananda, sat, I exist, being. Then this existence is, it's not just a blank or a void, it is fully conscious. So it's an existence that is pure consciousness, which is chit. So we've got sat, chit, being, consciousness. And then that consciousness itself is not barren. It's blissful. And this is the ananda aspect. And this bliss or ananda, it's not the the human notion of bliss. It's a kind of, again, words. One could call it an all-encompassing bliss, a multifaceted bliss. And it's the bliss of consciously existing. The human idea of bliss is, it's based on Duality, I suppose you could say, that which is blissful as opposed to that which is not. You know, for some people, a warm apple pie is blissful, or a smile, or a scenery is blissful. Whereas a stomachache or a toothache is definitely not blissful. So you could say this bliss, consciousness, and existence, this Satchitananda. They are the three characteristics or qualities of self-knowing. How God or the divine knows itself. And this Satchitananda is one. And realizing this Satchitananda is coming to knowledge. So this is how God knows him, herself, itself. It's a knowledge. So when we realize this, we come out of ignorance of not knowing to knowledge. Because the divine is one, we are part of that one. And we can partake of that knowledge. We can share in the knowledge of how God knows itself. To know oneself, to know the self, is to come out of ignorance. So you may ask, well, I know that I exist, and I'm conscious that I exist, that I am, but I am sure that I'm not always blissful and often far from it. So, 
what's with this pain, what's with this suffering, what's with this evil in the world, if God is all blissful, if God knows itself as bliss, why this evil, why this pain? So because of this turning point, we turn into Satchitananda. We can drop the charge of cruelty to others that we, you know, could perhaps see God as cruel somehow, that he lets this evil run in the world. Because there's not another, if God is all one existence, there is no other. So then we drop that charge and then we look and say, well then, is this a question of, you know, self-inflicted suffering, that God is allowing for this suffering? That if God is this one existence, what's with the evil, what's with the suffering? And, you know, it, you could ask, is God some caught in some sadomasochistic behavior? What's going on? So how can evil and suffering exist in Satchitananda? Is God supreme not able to reject or banish evil? And how is this evil compatible with this bliss, if everything is bliss? So again, these questions stem from our own human concepts of good and evil. We're trying to impose a kind of dualistic ethics onto the one, onto the one existence. You know, evil is a very relative term. What one person considers evil, another may not find evil. Indeed, many religions or nations or groups often condemn the other side as evil to vilify them simply for being different. And, you know, yes, there can be acts of real violence that are utterly stomach-churning in a way and, you know, ignorant and unconscious. And I'm not suggesting that anything goes. But I am suggesting that there's a possibility to transcend good and evil and find the God in and as all. And this realization would end the ignorant and unconscious behavior we often inflict on each other. To know the other as God and oneself as God. Not God in its totality, but each and every one of us as evolving expressions of God, of divinity. You know, we can look at nature for some real good clues. So a lion attacks a, a zebra. You know, the lion is hungry. Its nature is it has a vital, strong energy. It has to feed its cubs. It has to feed itself. It's going to kill. It doesn't care if that zebra has young, it doesn't care if that zebra is young or old, it's just going to kill it, if it can. And the lion isn't evil, it's just, that's its nature. 
and then you know as humans we you know we have a more evolved mental capacity maybe than a lion so we can bring in morals and ethics and we can say you know we shouldn't kill each other we shouldn't kill other humans you know that it's wrong because you know we have that same animal vital energy in us that wants to take wants to get wants to hunt wants to achieve wants to conquer wants to take and we bring a kind of mental ethics or morals to it which has its place and has its time but you know we can all see how that is often bent and played with you know often there's ethics and morals are talked about but they're not actually lived so and then we impose you know you know there's laws so there's punishment okay if you if you transgress this ethical law we have or this moral law or this you know governmental law you will be punished a fine jail or ostracization in some way there's punishment so we're, we're kind of forced into often <laughs> it's the only ways for some people to get them to act appropriately with the higher values we aspire to which is fair enough it has its place but often you know in moments of high tension we lose our reason our ability to reason and the vital energy takes over and ethics are out the window they can't be controlled this happens in times of war totalitarianism even just mob mentality or when we're in fight or flight when we're activated and you know our nervous system is kicks in we're purely on survival mode and then our vital animal instincts kick in and it's like kill or be killed and ethics you know very few can hold to that high standards just with mental effort there are other ways so you know and then we even have you know we say well if someone murders you know that's so wrong and that we're actually going to murder them so we you know we electrocute someone who's killed someone and we say this is just and fair so and some people you know that's their way there's not a condemnation in what i'm saying it's just that there's a progression in life that we're evolving and moving from this animal you know we came from this animal instinct and we're progressing up and we're all at different stages different countries different groups and as individuals and we have to find kind of a basis for evolving but then can we come you know when we're dominated or we use a mental capability of right and wrong good and evil um we try and pose that on nature we can't a volcano erupting nature is not good or bad a virus in the world is not good or bad you know and we always want to demonize or go to war instead of seeing it that you know we're trying to impose human values onto nature
So then what's the possibility? Is there a possibility of going beyond this good and evil of punishment and, you know, mental control that is so often open to corruption? Because often beneath this mental control is a, a wild, vital animal that's uh, chomping at the bit to get out. And I don't say that as finger pointing. I recognize it in my own life. And it was very strong when I was younger. I had that same vital capacity for anger, vengeance, judgment, condemnation. Some traditions focusing on realizing the sat aspect of Satchitananda, the existence, the I am. And it's a very valid way. You know, you realize this pure existence. And it feels so liberating because you're unbounded, so to speak. Your existence doesn't hinge on your body. And this existence, when you realize it, you realize it doesn't come and go. It's not born and it doesn't die. Unlike the body, and we have so much fears about our, you know, our own safety and mortality that it can seem so liberating, and it is to a certain degree. But it can also lead to an aesthetic, sorry, an aesthetic value of renouncing the body and renouncing the world, a kind of a disembodied I am kind of negating of the world and our bodies. So, you know, there's a certain peace to this. But more often than not, it leaves one kind of with our humanness untransformed. And often, you know, people say, you know, it's your parabda karma, so you're just waiting for your body to drop, to die, so you can be finished with it all. That your, you know, your body's some kind of chafe that's waiting to just be discarded. Yet this sat, this I amness or existence is one and this world and our bodies are not separate from this one. For how could this be one without a second otherwise? Some tried to claim that the world is an illusion and that's you know sat existence is the real but you know you're still left with illusion and reality a kind of a nice spiritual duality and you try hide out in the real and dismiss the illusion which can be your body your life your family world problems and it's a kind of an avoidance at taking up what I could call a full realization, which includes a full transformation, that we have to not separate sat from chit. And indeed they're not. You know, this chit, this uh, consciousness, it's a conscious force and it gives form to all the world and our bodies. 
you know, it's often termed the divine feminine or Shakti or the mother. Where sometimes sat or existence is considered the masculine principle, sheer existence. So we have this sat, this masculine principle of sheer existence. This chit is a conscious power, this chit shakti, the feminine principle. And you know. This chit shakti, this conscious power forms our bodies, our human nature, and the nature that is all around us. And you could say she is the mother of all, and indeed is all. When we only view the surface of nature, when we don't penetrate it, we don't see chit shakti, we don't see her inner fullness, we only see prakriti, we only see that which is somehow limiting us or containing us or foiling us or not giving us exactly what we want. Because we haven't penetrated. We haven't taken off the mask of Pakriti, looking behind the nature that is our body and the nature around us and finding the Divine Feminine, this conscious power. And she is not separate from he, sat and chit. They're, you know, it's, you could say it's existing consciously, that we are existing consciously, sat and chit. It's just not a matter of escaping the world. And then we could say this Ananda, this bliss, is the interplay between Sat and Chit, between he and she. And that consciously existing is bliss. And it is here as us, but we have to realize that. That's the potential. we can realize the one existence behind the seeming multiplicity. We can realize the conscious power that gives rise to everything. And we can realize the one ananda, the bliss behind the mask of good and evil. So you could say this is realizing unity in diversity. Or one could say that the Divine God or the Supreme is coming to know itself in form as he, she realizes the Satchitananda through our humanness. Or simply that God is knowing itself through us as us, with us. To know thyself is how God knows itself, the one self of all. For me, for many years, I had more of a, a focus, tendency towards 
the sat aspect, the sheer existence, and it brought a tremendous peace. It was a very tantalizing peace. And yet I also had much to realize as regards the conscious force, the mother, to bring this power, this force to help transform my humanness, this humanness which is the one, not to escape the body in some kind of transcendent haze, but to open my humanness, my instrumental nature, to its higher form, this higher aspect of jit. You could say it's to surrender myself to the mother. And while the focus the last while has been to realize and acknowledge the bliss, the divine ananda behind all, and the bliss of consciously being, And, you know, just like everyone, I've had my share of what could be called evil, suffering, trauma. It's funny that my voice is going as I say that. <clears throat> Yet everything played a part in evolving me, polishing me up. That the challenging events of life can be a, a divine nourishment if we take it as so to take every event as an opportunity to evolve, to come out of otherness, to come out of limitation, perceive separation, not to escape life, but to embrace life as an order. So I offer you this in recognition that as a soulful living being I'm still undergoing the unending realization of living of evolving of allowing for Satchitananda to touch all aspects of my being, to touch my mental, to touch my vital energies, to touch my very physicality, and also to help bring my soul forward. The soul being an individualized expression of the divine, it is not separate. You could say the soul is the light a ray of light of the divine expressed individually through each human. The degree that that can shine through depends on how well we've been polished. And sometimes the challenges of life are the grindstone we need. And I don't say this lightly because people face huge challenges and adversity in life. And indeed, at this moment, the world has been really challenged. There's such huge polarization, you know, this huge tension to trying to pull itself apart, of condemning the other, of really, you know, finger pointing, blaming, 
vilifying, name-calling. And it's not that one side is right and the other is wrong. It's that we as, as humans, as an evolving species, are being given this chance to overcome otherness, to come over and out of fear, to surrender our ignorance and our mortality and to allow the divine really to touch us, to enter us, to illuminate us. So it's a very exciting time to be alive and each one plays their part in remaining conscious, remain conscious of your existence. Also, if you're not familiar with that bliss aspect to, to call it, to start to put a will on or an aspiration to realize it. Just as we can, you know, our sadhana can be focusing on the sat aspect that we want to realize our beingness. We can also realize, you know, this Shakti, this conscious power. And we can also welcome in this bliss. And in a way, we all want to be happy. We all want to be blissful. And we generally go about it by trying to fulfill desires. And But our very desires are, you know, often very limited. They're, you know, stem from our own conditioning of what will make us happy. And always these limited desires just keep us in the treadmill. Sometimes we achieve them, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get a little high, sometimes we get frustrated. You know, there's a beautiful to get beautiful saying to give up the fruits of your action. That you know, you're not looking just for the reward, the fruits. And you know, you could go even deeper and say, uh, even to surrender your very actions to God, to let all your activity, all that you do, all that you are really be an expression of that Satchitananda. Each of us are conscious beings and we have the potential to be blissful and to share in that bliss. If we're willing to put down our separateness. If we're willing to let go of control, 
and by control I mean I suppose egoic control so there we go sometimes I'm very conscious of the fact that you know I speak for a while and then I realize there's so much I didn't say but in a way I can also feel the fullness of this moment I need the beingness of this moment and I'm very conscious of that and that is joyful I welcome you to share in that. 